Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Karamachit. How are you, sir? I feel we need to get ourselves a new timekeeper. Guy's been in very shoddy form of late. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm tremendous. But yeah, Gus is letting the team down. Um, it, to the point that I'm winning our lateness league this year, which is, uh, you know, it, it really speaks badly of both of you. Scoreboard says different. <laughs> what does the scoreboard say? Me for your you seven Carl fifty nine. Oh no no, you were definitely late for one of these. Definitely, you were definitely late for one of these. Like a good fifteen minutes late. I'm, I'm definitely. That was the World Cup pod. No no, you were definitely late for 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 one of these as well. Anyway, we will not have this hijacking. I said I'm winning, so therefore I'm winning, and that's just how it will go. Uh, Carl, Liverpool play Brighton. On the weekend, Liverpool are terrible, Brighton are good, uh, Brighton will win the game. Do you agree or disagree? Um, I mean, I'm going to agree on, on logic. That's fine then, that's been the podcast, <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs> what I'm hoping for here is if we turn the clock back to scouted, uh, what would it have been, 2021 maybe? And we were going bananas over how good Atalanta was. And that Liverpool were playing shoddy away from home in Europe or whatever fixture it was at the time. And mm. then we turned around and spanked them 5 0 after both of us had predicted we'd get beaten. I'm hoping the same happens here. Yes, that was the Diogo Jota hat trick game, if, if I'm not mistaken. 
was indeed. Um, yeah, where they, they came in in great form and we came in in fairly poor form, uh, very poor form in truth, and we spanked the life out of them. So that was nice, and if we could get a repeat of that, it would be tremendous. Now, Brighton currently sit below us in the table. Uh, they're eighth. But they've had quite a bit of upheaval this season. Their sporting director left in the summer. Their manager decided to walk out in the break for the Queen's passing and join the evil empire at Stamford Bridge. Uh, A decision I would imagine he regrets more and more with every passing day. They appointed Roberto De Zerbi. They went on a five-game run without a win. They drew 3-3 with us. They lost 1-0 at home to Tottenham. Lost 2-0 away to Brentford. Drew at home with Nottingham Forest in a result I'd imagine that they'd like to have back. And then lost 3-1 away to City. But since then, they have beaten Chelsea and Wolves and Southampton and Everton while losing games to Aston Villa unusually, and um, and Arsenal, who are top of the table, and I don't think they'll be too upset by that. Carl, this Brighton team, they're, they're a very unusual collection of players that successive managers have been able to get a really nice tune out of. And I think in recent games, we have seen them really start to exhibit what Roberto De Zerbi wants to get out of his team. That includes the win over Southampton, the performance against Arsenal, which, while they started poorly and found themselves uh, 3-0 down, and they were quite unlucky not to come back and get the game to 4-3. And all of Arsenal's goals were pretty easy to avoid had they done the right things. But then they went and they spanked Everton. Then they spanked Middlesbrough in the FA Cup at the weekend, they're starting to really look like a Deserby team. They are, and certain aspects of that tactically you can really see coming through from his um, Sassuolo team in particular, I'd say. Uh, less familiarity with me with Shakhtar, other than obviously some of the European games, but even there you can see some overlap now in terms of how they're building from the back. You can see a little bit in terms of the uh, wide players and how they get themselves involved in the final thirds. And I mean, you mentioned the Arsenal game. Even in the in the League Cup, they played different eleven, you know, to to a certain extent. But they played the same way, and the mm. build-up play was very very similar. And they absolutely hammered Arsenal in that game. Like it was three one, but they outplayed them. Like Arsenal had plenty of shots. Arsenal had plenty of the ball, but Brighton were the far better side. Brighton had the far better plan. Brighton had the far better execution of their plan as well. Um, but it is Brighton, and there are still a few players who are of a level where they can play very, very well a couple of weeks in a row, and then not so well a couple of weeks in a row. And you know, even that is evidenced in in the League Cup run where they beat Arsenal and then went out to Charlton. So there yeah. is some hope for Liverpool, the mighty Liverpool. This is where we are right now, where we're hoping we catch Brighton on an off day. Um, but it's possible, you know. They they do have, like I say, a few players who are still, let's say, of a middling. Uh, mentality and consistency levels that really separates them from the top top players and obviously they have a a couple of those as well which might be more problematic yeah so let's work our way through their team so Robert Sanchez will start in goal he is somebody that many people rate quite highly I am not one of those people I think he is an error waiting to happen I think there's definitely decent aspects to his game 
but I think he is error prone and he wouldn't be a goalkeeper I'd trust. I think he's basically what you'd get if you ordered Allison off Wish. But um, yeah, he, he is their starting goalkeeper. What do you make of him? Much the same as you. I, I think he's he's okay in certain aspects, which I think are fairly basic for goalkeeping. Um, but even his shot stopping, I think, is a little bit erratic at times in terms of what he does with the ball, parries wise, and danger areas, and that. Um, he's he's not my favourite Spanish goalkeeper. Let's put it that way. Uh, I wouldn't have him in the in the squad, let alone in the a battle for second place. Um, like you say, he can have some games where he, he's very impactful because of his particular strengths, but not for me, not as a general type of keeper. No, no, he wouldn't be for me either. Um, let's look then at the defence. So Joel Veltman has kind of established himself as the right back and Tariq Lamptey is very much the backup now and kind of gets sub-appearances and starts in the cup. Veltman is a defence-first player. He's comfortable on the ball, having spent a long time at Ajax. But he's not the quickest. He's not not the strongest player. Uh, but he is sort of a solid citizen there. But that might be an area that we can look to get at. Though thinking about it, our left-wing position right now isn't exactly in the best of fettle, given the injuries to Diaz and Jota and given Gakpo is not long with the squad. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like he's he's a, a defensive defender, isn't he? He's a fullback who will tuck in. He allows them to be flexible if they want to. But I think the best thing that he has is consistency. Um, mm. To be honest, I still think it's a little bit unfortunate for uh, Tarek Lamptey because he was injured at the start of the season, obviously, when Graham Potter was there. Um, didn't really get too much in terms of the way of starts. And then he was away on international duty at the time when you mentioned like Potter was uh, lured away to Chelsea and Deserby came in. So Deserby didn't get to work with him in that whole two week break. He was away with Ghana for like one of the first times in, a, in an international call up. And then by the time he gets back, obviously, the manager has been working with some of the new players. He's a bit more familiar or comfortable with who he wants in that first lineup. And he's just not really got the chance to go back in again. So I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, Lamptey plays a bit more of an increasing role as the season goes on, but it might not be at right back. You know, he's played it on the left hand side where he mm. can stop inside forwards coming in on their left foot. He's played obviously further upfield as well. I wouldn't be surprised if that's more where he gets a look in, um, because at the minute we'll get there. But you know, Solly March is one of the ones who is playing a bit further upfield, and he's maybe one of the ones who you can um, relate to. Where I said earlier on, they they suffer a little bit. Some of them in terms of consistency at the very highest level, or ability to impact game after game after game in the same similar way. But Veltman, I think, is the complete opposite. He he takes on board instruction very, very well. He's not obviously an absolutely elite level defender, but he does whatever you want him to solidly. He's not going to be ridiculous and leave massive gaps and cause you problems uh, in terms of defensive unawareness. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think Lamptey as well is probably more suited as a wing-back than a full-back. I think the same is true of the opposite side where Purvis Estupinen has come in to replace Mark Cucurella and is looking like one of the best signings of the summer. I think he's been excellent for them. He is playing as a full-back in the flat four, but he's still offering a hell of a lot going forward. And he does have aggression and a bit more size than Lamptey when it comes to doing his defensive work. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. I mean, especially 
Although Brighton are like within touching distance of Liverpool and a couple of other teams above them, they still will probably have a little bit of um, caution, I would say, certainly not inferiority complex at the moment in terms of results and confidence and getting used to playing style, but they'd still be a little bit reserved compared to maybe how some of the, the bigger teams might line up um, at home, let's say, against against Liverpool or United or whoever it is. So it wouldn't be that much of a surprise to see stick with the more reserved options in certain positions. Yeah, I agree. I do agree with that. Now, in central defence, they are quite strong. It's normally Lewis Dunk and Adam Webster, but Webster has been a little bit injury-plagued, and that has given Levi Colwell an opportunity. And I think he's largely done very well. He's a very young central defender. They obviously have him in on loan from Chelsea. He spent last season on loan with Huddersfield and had a, a good run with them. Uh, I believe he got them to the playoff final or helped them get to the playoff final, rather, uh, where they lost to Nottingham Forest, and he scored, unfortunately, the own goal. But he's impressed me in recent weeks, stepping in next to Dunk and looking like he's been in the Premier League for a while. Yeah, I think you know the quicker you can obviously build partnerships in that area of the pitch, then great. Um, it's, it's always good, I think, to see the younger players getting that opportunity and a club like Brighton, which is... Um, I'm not saying built on that kind of player, because if anything, they're built on very, very good scouting and recruitment from other areas, which you might not always go to if you're a bigger club. Um, it is a useful proving ground for them, for sure. You know, the number of players that they have, even if you say 24 years of age and under, it's it's very, very impressive how many minutes they all get on the pitch. Mm. Um, but I think really what Colwell bring, brings to this team is that the way the Zerbi likes his build-up play is that... The defenders have to have the ball for as long as they need to until the other team come out and press them. You know, they're not a team who are going to try and force the issue to break through your lines. They're going to wait for you, and they will pass the ball between themselves and the defensive midfielders for as long as it takes for you to get bored and come out of your shape. And that's the biggest thing, I think, that is maybe the, the difference between him and, let's say, Graham Potter, for example, but any manager who likes that build-up from the back kind of thing. Deserby's approach has always been, we'll wait it's fine, we'll have the ball. And those defenders have just got to be very, very comfortable with the first touch, very assured taking the ball on the turn. Fine with waiting for people to come towards them and then making the pass into the space that they leave. And I think Colwell does that really, really well. I think the other thing he offers them, which Webster doesn't, is he's naturally left-footed, so you've got a bit more balance and a few different passing angles there as well. And and like you said, when it's about pulling... Opposition defensive players out of position towards him having those extra passing angles is beneficial. Uh, the area in which Brighton are, I would suggest, undoubtedly stronger than us this season is in central midfield. Now, we will line up with it in all likelihood a 2v3 advantage where we'll have, you know, our three man midfield, but their two man midfield is outstanding and destined for, with respect, bigger things than Brighton. Uh, World Cup winner Alexis McAllister and the outstanding and fingers crossed future Liverpool midfielder Moises Caicedo. I think this is one of the best double pivots in the league. I nearly don't want to talk about them. <laughs> it's it's um, bemusing and baffling and really, really annoying how much our midfield control has deteriorated over the last couple of years. And then you look at a team like Brighton, 
and like I said, with complete respect for what they've done and much, much admiration for the way they've put together a team. And even the bravery of, of Potter first and now um, Deserby as well of playing someone like Alexis McAllister, who was habitually a number 10, in a proper mm. central midfield role and knowing exactly the job that they want him to do and why he'll be good at it and then allowing him to be. And it is very, very well balanced. It really, really works well together. And not just those two, to be honest, but Pascal Gross as well, who, you know, turned back the clock, what, three, four seasons, was a winger and then a number yeah. 10 at, at best and now a central midfielder as well. I mean, it's just... It is a testament to what you can do with players when they know their role, when you're very, very clear about what people have to do on and off the ball, and when you get by him from a squat. It's very, very impressive is the only word I can use here. Yeah, it is. And Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. They're two players that their scouting network went and found. McAllister had been quite loudly talked of in Argentina when he's with Argentinos Juniors. Um, but it was Leicester, or it was Brighton rather, who took the plunge. They went and bought him. He had two separate loans back in Argentina and they were prepared to wait until he was ready to play a part in their team. And then obviously he gets into the team, like you said, predominantly as more of a number 10, but moves his way back, improves his defensive work. And that move back into midfield, that is part of why he was called up to the Argentine squad. It is part of why he was such a key part of their World Cup winning team. Without that move, he's probably not trusted by Scaloni to play that type of role because Scaloni wants real work from his midfield. And McAllister has improved his off-ball work immensely while still retaining an outstanding ability on the ball. If we wanted a Thiago replacement type, he'd have to be high on the list. And like I say, Casado is he's top of my list for any midfield addition. I just think he's I think he's phenomenally good. Uh, I love the piece that you wrote on This Is Anfield, which I saw today, about him and about the players he reminded you of, and I thought it was absolutely spot on. Um, The line of three behind one is nominally Solly March on the right, cutting in onto his left foot, Pascal Grouse as the 10, but we have seen Lalana play there as well. And the left-sided role is the interesting one because Grouse has played there, you would have said it was Leandro Trossard's role, but there seems to have been a little bit of a falling out between him and the manager, whether that's over Trossard thinking he should be getting a move to a bigger club or what it is, I don't know. But it has opened the door for arguably the best footballer on the planet, uh, Kaori Matoma, to come in there and just bamboozle right-backs up and down England. 
Yes, Guy's favourite player, I believe. Maybe, maybe with the exception of Alberto Moreno. I'm not really sure if he still counts or not. Guy's a, a changeable character. Um, Deserbi says he wants, like, basically Trossard to play better more often. And this is, again, linking back a little bit to what I was talking about before in that some of these players now obviously getting better and climbing up the league and all the rest of it. It is still a very, very big jump to go from playing for a bottom half club to a club on the fringes of the European places. Like the expectations are very, very different. And what you can get away with on a week to week basis is really, really different. And when you haven't actually changed club, it's just that that club has progressed. It's, it's always going to be a bit of a case that you have one group of players who are really taken to, you know, this new level that they're playing at and embracing it and, progressing and getting better and all the rest of it and some who will not quite as much now i'm not suggesting that trossard is not going to be one of those because we've already seen against liverpool for example just tear us apart and we can't get close to it but it's it's probably a good reminder from to that if he is making the team better and if all the players want to be in a better performing team well then naturally you have to play better more often and so he's out of the team basically at the minute for that reason that he's not really playing at top form often enough um, Mitoma, I mean, he's such an exciting player to watch. There's, there's no, no question of that. And I think probably still at the minute, it's best for him that he is making sporadic starts, and the others are uh, off the bench appearances because he can impact in different ways against different types of teams. And maybe he's not still got the um, off the ball defensive capacities that yeah. he wants from him. Um, I mentioned like the. The centre backs, especially and the full backs, who have to you know, really retain possession and wait for the moment to pass through to central midfield as well. Wide forwards for Zerbi have always had a very, very similarly rigid role in terms of what they have to do waiting. Like they start really, really wide when they attack and when they get involved in and around the penalty box. You'll see them now, and you'll see them supporting the number nine. And sometimes it'll be like almost a four up front because the ten often with him has been a, a second forward anyway. But they start really wide. They stretch play and they, they hold position in where the, the best areas for them to receive play in dangerous positions to attack one-on-one against fullbacks, for example. It's really disciplined work from them off the ball. And like if you have to think of maybe Brighton, even if they're playing well and like really good attack and everything, sometimes they might only have 45 48% possession. That's a lot of waiting time for those wide players. Like working mm. defensively and then when your team is counter-attacking, when they're in transition play, you're not just going to get it straight away. It's not going to be a counter-attack down the wing to you all the time. You're not necessarily going to be the out ball because of that whole process of retaining possession, waiting for the opposition to move out of shape and all the rest of it. So you have to be really, really diligent to play that role in a deserving team. And I think that's not a shock that Solly March has got it, but I think that probably plays into his um, traits and attributes. His best attributes are probably you know, diligence and doing what the coach wants rather than the actual technique of his dribbling or cutting in and shooting, that kind of thing. So it's it's a good indication of what they'll be looking for for improvements going forward. Um, the number 10 role, I think, is maybe the one where we can think we can either take that player out of the game or, like you mentioned at the start, get that overload 3v2. If it's Pascal Gross, I think we might struggle, to be honest. Yeah. Gross, his movement into the final third, That's you know, he's played almost as a second striker before and had a really, really good goal score and run for Brighton. He knows how to drop in and play a three in midfield. With Lalana, I mean, we know pretty much everything about him anyway, and the, the physicality certainly isn't there compared to the other players that Brighton have. But there's also nothing to say that they're not just going to go with, like I say, a bit more of a, a second forward type of option. Um, I mean, I wouldn't expect it to quite be like 
I'm trying to think, like Mitoma playing off somebody or something like that, but maybe Trossard could some of the time. Sarmiento, Sarmiento played yeah. that role in the cup game, didn't he? Or no, against the, against he, Everton. He started Everton. He play, yeah, again, he basically played as a second striker. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like, Caicedo was nominally the defensive midfielder for that game, but the opening 15 minutes or so, Caicedo was making up the ground as an extra attacker in the box, <laughs> right up to the edge of the penalty box and even beyond. And it's... Again, quite symptomatic of what I say about Brighton. Everybody knows their roles and everybody's very, very clear about what they have to do in transitions and at the moment they lose the ball. And I mean, Everton obviously didn't have any way to, to combat the rotation of positions and the, the ability on the ball that Brighton have had. But Caicedo, as the defensive midfielder, didn't miss a beat, even though he was attacking a lot. And that's because Samianta was able to run into the channels, be an extra forward alongside Ferguson, who has just come from nowhere to apparently be their starter number nine. And uh, like I say, lots and lots to, to look out for, especially for a team who have habitually not been great at tracking runners. Yeah, very much so. And it, it, you, know, you mentioned the wide roles in a Deserby team. And it's worth remembering that the two players that probably shone the brightest under him yeah. at Sassuolo were Berardi off the right and Jeremy Boga off the left. And there are some similarities between Boga and Matoma in terms of that dribbling ability. But when De Zerbi got um, Boga first, the big knock on him was he's not good off the ball. He was good by the time De Zerbi finished with him. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth pointing out about those two. I mean, it is it is a, a very technical role that he likes. Obviously, a lot of creativity to come through there and a lot of attacking impetus. And I think... They were the top scorers in, in both of his seasons there as well, from, from wide forward rather than centre forward. But it is disciplined and you've got to do the job off the ball and you've got to be able to play the team role, basically. Um, bit of a scary prospect, to be honest, at the minute, considering where we are struggling and where they yeah. are um, strong, usually. And a particularly scary prospect is the greatest number nine in the history of the Premier League, Evan Ferguson, who already has two goals to his name in the Premier League, despite only making one Premier League start. Um, I am being, you know, slightly hyperbolic, but Evan Ferguson looks a real handful up front. He is a big, strong, quick lad who gave William Saliba absolute nightmares and had no problem mixing it up with the likes of Tarkovsky when they took on Everton, got himself a goal and an assist in that game and is giving them what they've been lacking, which is that work rate of Danny Welbeck, but with a real goal threat and a poacher's instinct in the box. Yeah, I mean, it's you know short time that he's been in the Premier League and the impact and the adrenaline and the excitement and everything is no doubt playing a part in terms of his energy levels. And I think it's probably good use to not be playing him 90 minutes at the minute when he's starting to come into the team. It was, I think, 70 or so. Uh, he was subbed against Everton, so you imagine he's won himself a starting spot for the minute, but maybe against, well, firstly, experienced defenders, assuming it's going to be Matip, and secondly, better defenders that is not going to be Connor Cody. Uh, mm. hope that we can tame a basically untested number nine, but again, it's not so much the individual players here as so much as the, the unit and the structure that they're playing in. It's, it's very, very quick exchanges of passes, everybody making the runs off the ball that is always the most difficult thing to, to defend against. It's not the technical ability, it's not the power or speed that someone has, it's the fact that they 
move or they know where to move or they know when to move or when not to move some of the cases obviously and uh, yeah, we're going to need a midfield to, to turn up Well let me tell you Evan Ferguson like myself and Trev Downey is a proud mead man and he's from Betty's Town there's no, no tame in the Betty's Town boys they are wild as anything out there so wouldn't be getting too excited about taming him but they've got some other really interesting to hear <laughs> they've got some other interesting squad players as well we've mentioned Sarmiento Billy Gilmore is a tidy midfielder who's starting to look like he might command a few more minutes here and there um, we know that there's there's always quality young players that they find all around the globe but young in CISO the Paraguayan they brought in he looks like he's got something about him as well so they are a bit of a scary prospect largely because of how awful we were or we are, rather. We obviously did play them earlier in the season, and we drew 3-3. Trossard put them one up on four minutes, doubled that lead on 17. Then we decided to play some football, and we scored through Bobby on 33, again on 54, and then an Adam Webster own goal on 63. But because our defence does strange things, everybody went to sleep on 83, and Trossard was able to grab them, a very deserved equaliser. It would have been a very undeserved victory for us had we won that game. They were the better team, uh, and they caused us all manner of problems. And that was before it became so blatantly obvious that we were sure. dreadful. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, we we had obviously started the season poorly with the draw to Fulham, the draw with Crystal Palace, losing to United. But then we'd come back and we'd beaten Bournemouth, we'd beaten Newcastle. We drew away with Everton, which didn't seem as bad a result at the time as it does now. But then that Brighton game came up and we were just awful. And they they tore us apart at times. Then we went and lost to Arsenal. Then somehow rebounded, beat City, beat West Ham, lost to Forest and Leeds in games that are still unexplained. Uh, we won four in a row before getting... Um, mauled really by Brentford in our last league game we're not playing well Carl um, there's a couple of Liverpool players that can hold their heads up on this season one of whom is Alison Becker though he did gift uh, Wolves a goal in the FA Cup game Trent had had a poor first half of the season but looks like he's rounding into some good form Ibu Obviously, didn't play a whole lot in the first half of the season and didn't have a great game against Brentford, but we know what he's capable of. Uh, Joel Matip has had, I think, an up-and-down season. I think he gets he's getting bullied a little bit too easily right now, and that's something you'd like to see addressed. But Andy Robertson has found form a little bit again, and that, I assume, is the back four that we go with in this game. Yeah, I can't see anything else at all. Um... It's obviously been a bit of a gap between matches, um, a week and more than a week between matches which we really, really have to win. So I thought there would be a couple more changes against Wolves than there were, given mm. that there weren't. I don't see any reason to su- suspect it'll be anything other than the strongest we can put out. So yes, that defence. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, 
which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Moving into midfield then, Fabinho has been largely poor this season. Came back from the World Cup and looked more like himself. Didn't think he played particularly well against Wolves. Was one of the few I thought came out with any credit against Brentford. Thiago is looking a little bit like a fellow that might have played a bit too much football in a short span of time, but is still our best midfielder by a considerable margin. Would you be expecting both of them to start in this game? Yes. Now we move on to the most talked about position in the Liverpool team for the last four years, five years, six years, the right-sided midfield role. Jordan Henderson has been appalling this season, was appalling again against Wolves, uh, was appalling against Leicester as a six, so should rule out any further performances in that role. Naby Keita seems to be the only one with any real capability to play that position because Curtis Jones can't stay fit and Harvey Elliott simply isn't a midfielder. Do we get Naby? starting or do you think he once again rolls out the captain who we shouldn't forget stank the place out when we played Brighton this year and last year well I mean this match against Brighton takes place on the 14th of January which is halfway through the transfer window of the month so I assume Liverpool will have signed at least one midfielder by then well you'd like to think that and I think most other clubs having seen how poor our midfield this season has been would have made a signing by then, but we we don't seem to buy midfielders. Jurgen says it's not a midfield problem, though, Carl, so we shouldn't talk about it. Fine, then it's not a midfield problem. It's a team structure problem. Um, either way, he has to fix it. And to be honest, I think at this minute, when you are having such sustained issues with the same thing over and over again, you have to be a bit more basic about your plan. And to me, that just says double pivot. Stick two people beside each other, and if you don't get quite the attacking creativity out of Thiago that you would like or you don't get Fabinho challenging as high upfield as you like suck it up man you've been rubbish Mm. sorry but this has to change now this has been going on so long and it's the same thing over and over and over and over again no pressure on the ball massive massive gaps runners in behind the fullbacks because they're still having uh, been told to be in the same high starting position and I, I don't really understand the reluctance to change things. I know we did earlier in the season and we changed formation about, what, four times in six games or something like that. But then we went back to 4-3-3 and it stayed the same since then. And we won, I think, what, maybe one or two games, something like that. And it's just stayed the same. And the problems persist. And if we do, I don't understand what exactly they think are going to change. We're not suddenly going to have massively energetic players again. We're not suddenly going to have a realisation throughout the squad that, right, our season starts here, this is when it happens. It's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. It's not logical. You might get a good performance. You're not going to get sustained performances. You're not going to get sustained results without something fundamental changing in the way that we're lining up at the minute. 
And if you're not going to do that with uh, personnel, I'm sorry, then something systemic has to change here because teams are making it so, so easy to get through us. We are making it so, so easy for them to have very, very good quality scoring chances. And the reason that Allison has been basically our player of the season is because he's had to be. Yeah. He really has. And, you know, all right. Might have cost us the FA Cup. He gets a pass. And if he does the same again this weekend, he still gets a pass. Yeah. Because he's been miles and miles out in front of everybody else. Well, we have 28 points at the moment. Uh, I would say you can comfortably give 10 of them to him for saves that he's made in games that we either won or drew, that we would have drawn or lost otherwise. I would say if it wasn't for him, we'd be down keeping Everton company towards the foot of the table. We've been that poor. Like that's that's not me being trying to be funny or anything. We have been that poor. We have been largely dreadful. But the one the one performance from us this season that I keep going back to, and I don't know why it didn't usher change, was that performance at home to Man City where we played a 4-4-2 and we kept our midfield nice and compact. We played a bit of a deeper line. The midfield sat a little bit off and we relied on the attacking threat of Darwin, Bobby, Moe to really have a go at City when we got opportunities. And we didn't have Trent in that game, but we have him back now. There's no way anybody's going to convince me that James Milner is a better defender than Trent. But you could even look at, if, if, if Virgil wasn't injured, you could look at, Vir- at Virgil in, at centre-back and then Joe Gomez at right-back. I don't think he'll try Gomez at right-back while Virgil is out because then that's all three of his you know actual first-team centre-backs being in the team. And if one of them gets hurt, then we're in trouble. But, you know, Trent at right back, maybe you play Naby as the right-sided midfielder and just tell him to sit and tuck in and not do anything too outrageous going forward. Just perform that role in front of Trent. Just lock down that side with Trent and give Robbo the same instruction as to, to not get too far advanced on the left and give the left winger a bit more freedom. So in this case, it would be Cody Gakpo with a Fabinho Thiago double pivot in midfield and Naby just joining them, but also flexing out to cover with Trent. Like, we're not going to win anything this season trying to play like Liverpool. We have to adapt to what is now the Liverpool squad. And the best way to do that is probably to lean on the fact that we do have great defenders in our squad. We do have outrageously good central defenders. We have a very good left back. We've got a very good cent- uh, holding midfielder. We, uh, just limit how much running they've been asked to do. Limit how much distance they've been asked to cover. And make priority number one, keeping a clean sheet and rely on the talents of Salah, Darwin and Gakbo to go and win us games. I mean... Honestly, at the minute, I, I think we're relying on that anyway because our build-up play has not actually been very good in the last few games, I don't think. And you know, Salah, we're not getting him involved in build-up play. We're not like making him the focal point of all our attacks going through him. He's been on scraps. So if we're not top um, form and top cohesion and rhythm and everything going forward, 
and you're still leaving massive open spaces defensively, surely this says that something is, is badly amiss here. The, the, the balance is just way, way off. It is. It's completely off. I always think of that that City team under Pep, the first City team, the one that got 100 points, the one that played a 4-3-3 off the ball, but flexed into a 4-4-2 on the ball. And I do sort of wonder if we can do the opposite of that and play a 4-4-2 off the ball with, with Keita and Gakpo as the wide players, but flex it into a 4-3-3 when we have possession. And allow Mo to stay a little bit more centralised off that left, off the right hand side. Darwin through the middle, and Gakpo can join them, and Naby can sit in with the the two others in midfield. And maybe you don't allow Trent and Robbo that freedom to get all the way forward, but you know they can still get advanced, and it can go to a almost a two five three kind of shape when you have possession. But you keep numbers behind the ball. You keep yourself that solid base to work from because right now we look like the easiest team in the league to play against the easiest team in the league to play through. And that's just so foreign to what we have been in past years. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, like uh, the fullbacks have obviously been a, a big part of our build up play being very, very high up field, but you have to protect against that. And that's habitually where we've, I think been better than anybody else in Europe for years and years is this midfield net that we had around or behind play, but very, very high upfield and everyone was capable and knew their jobs and everything. And people couldn't play through us, not direct, not long, not trying to play through quickly, not trying to dribble through because we had the physical capabilities to deal with all of those things. And we don't have any of it now. We don't have the physical capabilities, but we always haven't got the positional spaces right either. Uh, and you mentioned Cater. It's so difficult to judge with Cater, and we never really know what level of fitness he's at. He's looked sharper when he's come on. He's done a couple of like neat little bits because he's a little bit more uh, explosive, obviously, and we've been trying to push forward when he's coming on usually. You look at his minutes played since we came back from the World Cup, and it's like 20 against Man City, then building up to 25, nearly 30 minutes against Leicester, 45 against Brentford, and obviously 20 minutes again off the bench against Wolves. I'd like to think at this point he could probably do an hour. Mm. But again, you just you never know, do you? I think if he is if he is fit, I, I'd probably start him anyway, even if it's a half time substitution, he can only do forty five again because I don't think you can afford to go firstly behind against Brighton again and we've we've fallen behind too many times obviously this season. And secondly, I think you need to put yourself a bit more front foot aggressive able to do things in the final third as well with the build-up play and obviously we're not getting that at the minute from Henderson and even from Elliot where that's his strength he's not really been too involved in that over the last few weeks I don't think No he hasn't, No, he's he's trying and he's trying to get involved but he's he's a final third player been asked to do a lot in the middle third You look at our, I would say our three best wins of the season Carl, City at home Spurs away Napoli at home City, we played 4-4-2. Jota played left wing. Bobby and Mo played up front. Um, Harvey played a really deep right-sided role, never left Milner's toes. Tottenham, we played a diamond. We played Fabinho deepest, Bobby behind Darwin and Mo. And then 
Napoli, we played basically a 4-4-2 with Milner and Curtis Jones as the wide midfielders. And again, Salah and Firmino through the middle. Salah through the middle is the key thing. Well, one of the two key things in this. I thought you were going to say Firmino starting is the key thing here. Well, it is. It, it, it was important as well because of his hold-up play and, and his ability to, to move and, and bring defenders with him. But having Mo through the middle, having him more centralised, we also hammered Rangers and Mo played through the middle. And Klopp came out and said something about that after the game. And we'd all been bemoaning the fact that Mo was basically playing as a linesman for weeks and weeks and weeks and not getting involved. And Simon Brundish had numbers about how his touches overall were down, his touches in the box were down. We weren't getting him into the positions where he could do maximum amount of damage. We come back from the World Cup and Mo was out keeping the linesman company again. So we've gone back to the mess we had at the start of the season. Why that is, I've no idea. But when we got Mo central and when we played with two up front and not one and two wide forwards, we looked a completely different team. The other key component in those games was who was missing. There was no Jordan Henderson in those games and they were the three tactically best performances we put in all season. So I think we've got to go Naby, Fab, Thiago, Gakpo, a three that becomes a four, a four that becomes a three, and Mo and Darwin up front. But we've got to keep Mo as central as possible because that's where he can impact games. And you are right. If we go behind to Brighton, we're in big trouble because if you go behind to Brighton, you have to open up. And when you have to open up and go and chase them, that is exactly what Roberto De Zerbi wants. He wants you open. He wants your defensive line out of position. He wants your midfielders chasing runners while their midfielders just slowly drop into those little pockets of space and one, two pass. Now they're in, now they're turned, give it and go. All of a sudden they've got an overload. Half your defense goes one way and now they've got three lads in the box and you've got one center back and a left back or a right back trying to cover back in and they're pouring into your box. You go behind against this team and you are in serious trouble. Yeah, completely. And it's even like the speed through midfield and the, the build-up play is like a completely separate thing here. It's Liverpool's off-the-ball um, ability to get back into position and be in position to begin with for some people. I mean, actually, the, the three games that you point out there, the other person who was missing from all three games is John Matip. And I don't think it's specifically a Matip thing here, but I do think he's yeah. been quite poor this season. I do think he's been playing poor the last couple of games as well. So the speed that you have in place of Matip in those matches, Gomez obviously played City, and I think Canate played both of the other two, did he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, we, like you say, we know what he was capable of, and personally, I... I probably at this moment in time, even though he's not played this season, would put him in the same bracket as Alisson in that I don't really care that he made a mistake in a couple of games ago or the last game or anything like that. I'd still play him because I know that he's fundamentally and tactically and physically probably one of the best out there right now. And mm. you know, if it's a couple of weeks to get him back to his best, so be it because you need him across the rest of the season because too many players in front of him are not just not playing well, but also haven't shown that they can be at the level that we need them to for quite a while now. Is there a case to play Ibu and Joe Gomez as the centre-back pairing? Given 
Joe is the one that has nominally played left centre-back the most of the three. Mm. He is the one that's nominally Virgil's backup. I would. I would pass. Ibu, only- Ibu and Joe, for that pace, that recovery pace, allows you to be a little bit more aggressive. The only and I would say for Matt up there is that when Virgil's not playing, he's usually the one who is shouting at his partner. Doing, he does the talking. Yeah. That's the thing. That is the thing. Um, it is it is Joel who normally takes on that role. But but could Andy Robertson be the one that starts to call the defensive line a bit more? I know it's more difficult from left back, especially if he's bombing forward. But if you're being sensible and you're saying to Robbo, just hold your position, just be a little bit more disciplined here. Just you and those two, you stay in a line, you form a three, let Trent get forward a little bit to overlap outside of Naby. But you hold your position and just leave Cody on the left wing. And if it's not working, we'll change it. But for now, you sit in with those two and you can talk them through. Having him, Joe and Ibu, that's a lot of pace. You're not getting beaten in behind with those three. No, and it would be nice to not have to be always one versus three or two versus three when someone runs Mm. midfield as well. So. Obviously, would have a knock-on effect in build-up play, but like we've said, Cody Gakpo tends to start wide anyway and receive play out there before coming in field. So you're not losing where Robertson would be to to receive possession in the first place. Um, what I would say about Andy Robertson, yes, he could probably do that in terms of staying in line, but against Wolves again, and I think he's done this way too much this season. He gambles quite a bit. Like we know he has a high starting position. That in itself is fine. I've not I've not got any problem with that. But the problem is that. When he's got someone ready to run in behind him, his first thought is always that they're going to play short instead. And he gambles on that and takes a couple of steps while they run in behind him. He's never getting back to that. And that is something that I think he costs us quite a lot of chances with this season. Mm. Um, and again, like The other thing he does that winds me up is when he takes that, that starting position about a yard behind the centre-backs and gambles on his own pace to get him out of there. And then the ball is played. Like like you said, he, he tries to anticipate where the ball is going. And sometimes he judges it wrong. And rather than, you know, if there's a player, say, breaking in from our right side, Robbo will take that deeper position, gambling that it's going to be a ball infield and then a ball in behind. And when the ball goes infield, he'll jump out and catch that runner offside. But sometimes that ball doesn't happen and it's a different pass. And he's either left himself exposed behind himself or it's a centralised ball and all of a sudden Andy Robertson's the one playing them on side. I, I do agree. He, he, he is a little bit too... Um, gambly is not a word, but you know that that is the kind of word that would describe what he does. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really struggling with this defence this year. Like We know individually and collectively they can be not just good, but great. We, we've seen each and every one of them be great. Both fullbacks, all three centre-backs that are fit, we have seen them be great. And yet, right now, Ibu is probably the only one I would 100% trust defensively. Trent, you trust him as a player. The rest, I, I do have question marks over right now and moving forward. Yeah, I think that's fair, and it's fair because it's not this week or this game or the last month. It's all season long and was evident at times last season. 
Um, so I do think that there are definitely questions to be answered there and they're not going to be all answered this weekend either for, for better or worse obviously but what we need to see from Liverpool this weekend against Brighton in this specific game is a reaction to what has been going wrong over and over it's got to be with the the context of what Brighton are very good at at the minute we never used to have to worry about that too much it was just we would play our game I, I think that's a mistake at this moment in time because we're not very good at our game to be blunt and I think you have to be a little bit more aware of what you're up against if I mean, what are we, we're going for top four. We're seven points off the pace, are we? Uh, I think that's correct. Yeah, I think we're seven points off United. We've not really got too much margin for error here at the minute. You've got to be a little bit humble about what you are at this moment in time. What Liverpool are is a, an error-strewn side individually mm. and not a cohesive unit as a, as a, as a, as a team entity, obviously. So... A little bit of practicality, I think, off the ball in terms of our setup would go quite a long way to fixing things because Brighton, we've spoken about all the good things that they are, but Brighton are not like a world-class team. Let's let's not no. get under any illusions about this. Like we've, we've spent 40 minutes of the pod probably talking about all the very, very good things to Zerbi has changed and implemented and worked towards, and that's all true. But you look at the last 10 matches, let's say, since the nil-nil draw with Nottingham Forest, they've kept clean sheets in none of them except for against Charlton, which they lost anyway. Like, yeah. There are there are problems with Brighton as well. There are flaws which a good team or good bunches of players can exploit. Liverpool have good players, but we have to protect against the shit that we're putting together as well. And I think that if we are a little bit more practical at the moment and a little bit more understanding of the fact that we're not at our peak... And you can't just assume that you are and play as if you were. Probably would have a much much better chance of scratching a two-one win or a one-nil win in this game than if we just try and go toe to toe with them because they'll cut through. I'm sorry, but that's that's they will in a minute. And the thing is with the Zerbi style of play, his teams have been suspect defensively. Yeah, you look you look at Sassuolo first season; they concede sixty goals in the league, which obviously not ideal. The second season, 63 goals in the league. Uh, his final season there, it was 56 goals in the league. Uh, his Shakhtar teams were not brilliant defensively. And while he does have Brighton scoring a lot more goals than Potter, they're also conceding a lot more goals than they did under Graham Potter. So there is definitely flaws in this system. And there's definitely things you can attack and get at. It's just for us. You need to be able to repel their attacks in order to take advantage of where they've left themselves exposed. And we don't look like we can repel anything at the moment. We look like if a fly attacked us, we'd probably tap out to it. Um, And that's not the Liverpool we know. So we are going to have to be a bit more pragmatic. We are going to have to be a bit more cautious. And and we need to be more more ruthless about how we go about things. And, And you mentioned being seven points off um seven points off Manchester United. Look at the gap between us and the top of the league. We're sixteen points Arsenal behind sixteen points behind Arsenal after seventeen games played. In seventeen eighteen we finished twelve points above Arsenal. In eighteen nineteen we finished twenty seven points above Arsenal. In nineteen twenty we finished forty three points above Arsenal. The difference between 
us and Arsenal was 14th place Crystal Palace in 2021. Even with all the injuries we suffered, we still finished eight points ahead of them. They had no real injuries that year. Last season, we finished 23 points ahead of them. And now, and I know they've made improvements. I know they've made improvements. But is anybody really telling me that in six months, they have become a... They, they've made up a 39-point swing on us in six months. No, that is, that is primarily down to us. This league is not good, and we should be right up there with them. City, are, City have issues this season. I assume they'll address them. I expect them to walk the league. But there's no way this City team are better than we were last year. There's no way Newcastle or United or Spurs should be better than us with the group of players we have. This mess is of our own making because, well, in the summer we failed to address the elephant in the room, which was the midfield. And there's obviously some other issues. The preseason didn't go well. The tactical plan is bizarre, to say the least. Jürgen is not having a particularly good season in terms of his in-game management. Uh, whether or not that's because he's ceding too much control to somebody else, that that's up for debate. But there's just no way we should be in the position that we're in. This is not a strong league, and yet we're level with Fulham. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, it's absolute garbage. Um, I have nothing to add to that. This is absolutely of our own making, both in failing to address certain things on the pitch, but also failing to change it. I think that's the bigger thing. You know, just mm. The absolute reluctance to alter what we're doing is mind-baffling, and I really do not get it. And you know, If we hit rock bottom this weekend, I can tell you exactly what it'll be. It'll be Brighton scoring a corner against us. Um, they score goals they score more open play goals than Liverpool do this season so far um, but set pieces no nothing very very little from them and we've conceded I think one or two set piece goals this season it's mm. the best in the Premier League uh, so if they are scoring against us off a uh, set piece you know that the worst has basically happened and we can just write off the rest of the campaign right away yeah totally I mean and I mean like Brighton or Brentford rather made us look really poor from set pieces so, you know, we're looking a bit more susceptible there. It is the failure to turn this squad over. I 
battered Roberto Martinez all through the World Cup for his failure to turn over that Belgium team and for how long he clung on to certain players. The Champions League final that we won, the the four-year anniversary of it is coming up in five months' time. We played Tottenham. How many of the Tottenham... What amount of players is this now? Is this 23 players? 23 players. How many of the Tottenham 23 do you still think are are at the club right now? Um, from the final? Yes. Half a dozen? Yeah, there are, there are six. Yeah. And Harry Winks is on loan. He would be the seventh. Okay, they sold Trippier, they sold Alderweireld, they sold Vertonghen, they sold Sissoko, they sold Ali, Eriksson was sold, Danny Rose was released, Vorm was released, Gessenega was released, Walker-Peters was sold, Foyt was sold, Aurier, I think they released him, Lamella they sold, Wanyama they sold, and Fernando Lorente, I think his contract expired. They have turned over their team. Now, I'm not saying they're a great example, but that's the change they've made. for us. Allison still at the club. Trent, still at the club. Joel, still at the club. Virgil, Robbo, Henderson, Fabinho, still at the club. Ginny is the first one gone because his contract expired. Not because he was sold, not because he was moved on. His contract expired and we couldn't agree a new one. Otherwise, we would have kept him. Salah, Firmino, still at the club. Mane was sold because he asked to leave. Not because Klopp wanted to. If Klopp could have kept him, he absolutely would have. Mignolet asked to leave. Kelleher still at the club. Lovren asked to leave. Gomez is still at the club. Albi Moreno's contract expired. James Milner is still at the club. Lalana's contract expired. Alex Oxley chamberlain is still at the club. Shakiri asked to leave. Sturridge contract expired. Divock Origi contract expired. The only player, Carl, from our 23-man squad in that European Cup final that was sold without asking to leave, or without their contract expiring, it was Ryan Brewster, who was like 18 at the time. We have kept far too many people far too long. This squad should still not be that squad. It just shouldn't. The only players that have left are the ones that asked to leave or the ones whose contract expired. And everybody else is still here. Yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, half of them, obviously, you, you, you mark off that you would have wanted to keep anyway. That's fine. We were a, a better side and obviously a more successful side than that Spurs squad. But mm. we went over and over every summer, every transfer window. It felt like of the same, probably half a dozen players who have an on-contract expiries, probably with the exception of like Shakiri, maybe, who we, we mentioned a few times could bring in a bit of money or something like that. And even then, we didn't get as much as we should have. And even no, and we, we didn't get like Lalana, Moreno, Sturridge, and Origi. Why? Why were? Why weren't they sold? Like Ox will leave in a free, uh, Bobby will leave in a free, and Naby will leave in a free, and so will Milner. But that's like eight or nine players there that were allowed to leave on freeze and not just sold. Like it's not like it's not like all those players were useful until the day they left. These lads should have been moved on. Ox should have been moved on. Naby should Naby didn't even make that squad because he was injured. He's still at the club. He should have been moved on two years ago. 
Divock should have been sold the day after that final. His value was never going to be higher. Instead, we gave him a new contract and allowed him to run that contract out and leave for free, and we got nothing for him. This is, For a club that needs to generate its own funds, that is not how you run your squad. That is appalling squad management. And now you look at our team, It's is it the oldest in the league? It's certainly right up there. And it's stale. And we don't have, like, if, if you go through our squad and look for players to sell, and we, we, we'll cover this on the next pod we do later in the week, you know, the players you could sell, there's, there's not a whole lot of value to be had there that, of players you could sell and get good money. We've done the, the keep sell loan. I want to go through some of the squad and see what you think we could get for them in the next pod. But we, we just haven't turned the squad over well enough. And a club like Brighton, who have no business competing with us, are now a terrifying, a terrifying prospect at the weekend. Yeah, it's a very problematic moment. And like I, I think that the, the failure to sell certain squad players in particular to keep that money coming in has been one of the biggest failings. And obviously now those problems rolling over and accumulating the knock-on effect, whether or not it's directly to do with why they've made the decisions that they did, the problems are still there for Liverpool to deal with is that uh, obviously Julian Ward now about to depart is going to be somebody else's problem after it was Michael Edwards who was involved firstly. And they did great work. Like They've done superb work. But that has to continue time after time, year after year, window after window. And if you just miss out on that like for two, three windows in a row, that's it. You're you're done of where we are. The way that we have to operate. Look at Chelsea. I mean, like they they operate on a different uh, stratosphere to us in terms of spend and in terms of um, approach strategy. Let's say they always have done. And this year, while they've been taken over, even more so because it's just bizarre at the minute. But, it's hilarious, is what it is. But where are it's they now? It is. But look at where they are, and that's only from getting it wrong. Like what two windows probably for them? Yeah, to not be competitive. Yeah. And that's all it takes. And you look at other clubs who have done what we've done, but a lesser level. Uh, take Southampton as probably one of the best examples right now. Year after year, they were very, very good with uh, their recruitment work, with when to sell players and so on. They get it wrong for three or four years, three or four windows in a row, and look where they are now. And this is this is all it takes for football to turn around that quickly. Oh, I'm not suggesting Liverpool are going to drop that far, obviously, but it's... it's um, it's relative but relatively speaking, we have dropped that it's far. relative to where you are to begin with. Exactly yeah. That. Like the same will undoubtedly happen for Brighton at some point in the future if they get it wrong two, three, four windows in a row, something like that. The same thing will happen to them. But when you are used to obviously challenging for the titles and challenging for championships and not losing any games across the course of the whole season and fuck it, this is the team we care about. So it doesn't matter about the rest of them failing. This is the one we want to work. It, it is worrisome and it's frustrating and very very problematic when we are playing a team at this moment in time who we can see are doing the right things and we are not yeah yeah very much so now before we go to predictions we're going to bring in guy drinkle for unai emery watch guy what is unai doing this week catching me off guard that's what he's doing um that is cheating give me uno momento uh premier league where are Villa? They are playing the Sunday, seemingly. No, they're not. Where the hell are they? They're playing Friday night. Friday. That's just been awkward. 
they are playing against Leeds just for Jesse Marsh to disappoint us like last year where we promised the American accent and never happened. So Unai Emery there. Linked with Gwendouzi today as well, just to get all the fume in midfield. Although I don't think they need midfielders. But that's uh, Unai Emery watch. There we go. Carl, very quickly on Unai Emery. He has just I'm spent... I've already left. Oh, that's okay, but I'll ask anyway. He has just spent a considerable amount of money to bring 29... Alex Moreno to the club. Um, a left back who can also play as a left winger. Uh, this seems like a strange move for a club that already has Luca Dina, who's about the same age, very similar style and profile, and uh, has Augustinson in on loan, who again is similar age, similar profile. Doesn't really make sense to me. Can you can you enlighten me? Is is this a good move? He's a good player, that's for sure, and he was you know outside of the the top you know, three sides or whatever. He was one of the better fullbacks in La Liga last year. Uh, Guy says it's because Ben Doak retired Luca Dina uh, a couple of games ago, which is absolutely fair. fair. Yep. Um, I assume that this is you know one of those managerial requests. He comes in, he says, this is the player who plays the specific way I want him to, and blah, blah, blah. Dina's been out of the team a couple of times as well, uh, under Unai Emery already. So I assume this is one of those uh, compromises between manager wants and club has strategy. He's a good player, don't get me wrong. I just I think it's overpaying again. He was linked with Nottingham Forest. They were very close to getting him in the summer uh, before they decided on three other left-sided defenders uh, to, to fulfil their needs, including Renan Lodi, I think, was the last one that they brought in. Mm. Um, he's good. I, I think he's good. I think if they had you know, a lesser fullback, then probably would be a good addition for them. I don't think he's going to make them lurch into the top eight positions or something like that but more power to Unai if he gets another clutch of players in that he wants to play in the exact same way over and over and over again yeah I think that's fair enough right the time you've been dreading it is predictions time now bear in mind if we beat Wolves in the replay we've got to play this lot again in the FA Cup so that's not fun but what's your prediction for this upcoming league match so I'm still actually on a prediction ban um I think I've got oh, you are. Lisa Marie said. So I'm going to go for a result, but uh, sorry, a result rather than a score as such. So I will go with full optimism and say a draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I genuinely, I, I don't think we're going to win this game, if I'm being honest. I am, I am struggling with this one. I'm going to try and reverse jinx us. I'm going to predict a 2-1 Brighton win because I think Jürgen is going to pick the wrong team. I think he's going to pick the captain again, get another shit performance out of him, haul him off on 60 and then pretend it's not the midfield because Parrish thought he actually put the criticism where it belongs, which is on the midfield, not one player, the whole thing and the way they're being coached and the way they're being set up. I'm going to say we lose 2-1 and I'm going to hope that that's a reverse jinx and that we can actually win this game, because we really need to win this game. Though United, it should be pointed out, are playing City this weekend, and, and you would hope that City will spank them. And it's the Viking against the Garden Gnome again, which is great fun to be had for all. And Spurs, who are the other team we need to leapfrog, leapfrog uh, they're playing Arsenal. Now, you're actually hoping for a Spurs win in that one, I think. 
so that they, you know, allow everybody to get a bit more ground back on on the gunners. But uh, yeah, it's it's not a not a pleasant situation at the moment. But there we are. Uh, what have you got to plug before we go? Uh, well, you've led me into it nicely there. I've got a horribly scathing piece of Antonio Conte's Tottenham Hotspur side before the North London derby. There we go then. <laughs> a scathing piece. He will he will turn up at your house like. You understand that. He he has he has done that in the past. He can turn up at my house and I will point to the numbers that prove me right and him wrong. Yeah, but he doesn't care about these things, Carol. He has gone to journalists' homes. Now he's done it in Italy where it's probably more acceptable. <laughs> um but he has he has come to their homes to discuss things with them. Antonio, and if you're listening not been the most pleasant about Antonio, it. if you're listening, you're more than welcome. I'll put the kettle on. Lovely stuff. Who wouldn't like a cup of tea? Uh, Well, I wouldn't anyway. But anyway, that'll do us. We will see you next time. We'll be back later this week with something else. We've got some questions on Discord and we'll try and get some values just to see if we were to take my approach to the squad and, you know, go at it with a chainsaw. How much money could we actually generate to bring in new players uh, that might actually fit into what we're looking, well, I guess we're looking to do. Uh, Until then, we'll see you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.